You find your seats and turn to Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. Just a real quick uh, announcement. Uh, the social justice in the gospel class is going to be pushed back to October 3rd, which is the first Sunday in October. Um, if you could, if you're interested in coming to that, if you would sign up, if you're going to be here in person, we're going to try to live stream it. Uh, but if you could be here, if you're going to be here in person, if you could sign up online, if you go to the website, you'll find the tab to sign up there. Especially if you have kids that are coming, we'll have childcare, um, and the childcare this time uh, will have kind of an intentional. Uh, they'll be going over stories and playing intentional games, and it won't just be uh, a free for all for the the hour that we are in the social justice class. But um, uh, it's going to be six o'clock, six to seven. And uh, it's going to go through November. I'm not sure how many Sundays it's going to take to get through it all. I haven't taught this before, um, but I'm guessing around eight Sundays. So uh, if you have questions on what is critical race theory, CRT, and all these different things that you've been hearing throughout the news, um, by the time you go through this whole class, you'll have a good grasp of what that is. And the goal is to understand the ideologies that our culture is um, throwing out out there. So... um, If you would, just sign up online for that. But today we're going to be in Exodus. If you would, read along with me. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt... Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay on, or I'll lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Let's pray. Therefore, Father, God, Lord, I pray that you're with us this morning as we continue to go through the book of Exodus, Lord, as we do an overview of the plague narrative, Lord, that, that you would reveal your name to us, that you reveal truth to us, Lord, that's found in these passages about who you are, what it means that you are Yahweh, about your character, Lord. I pray that you're with us this morning, Lord, as we talk about Your judgment, Lord. Your just and righteous judgment, Lord. The wrath that you have towards sin and sinners, God. Lord, it's a heavy topic to talk about your wrath, Lord. And I pray that you're with us this morning as we see a glimpse of that in Exodus. That it's a foreshadow of the greater wrath that will come, Lord. Be with us this morning as we go through this passage in your son's name. Amen. I kind of... I was hoping to pick up where we left off last week. We're, we're doing a review through chapters 1 uh, to chapter 11 in the book of Exodus. To get us caught up, we're going to slow down when we um, after today. Uh, we ended really in chapter 7 last week, which is a foretell. It's foretelling what's about to happen in the next three chapters, chapters 7 through 10, which is called the plague narrative. It's the story about the plagues, which most of us are somewhat familiar with. The plague narrative, God is going to multiply signs and wonders in the land of Egypt with ten plagues. This uh, morning I want to go over the first nine of these ten plagues, and then we're going to spend a lot of time on the tenth one, 
the death of the firstborn. But again, this is somewhat of a review, reviewing over the, the plague narratives, and I have three points in the sermon this morning. The first point is this, the purpose of the plague narrative, the purpose of the plague narrative. Second point, the revelation of the plague narrative. And the third point, the warning of the plague narrative. So let's start with the, the purpose of the plague narrative. And I, I really want to start with just kind of walking through the, the first nine plagues that is found in chapter 7 through 10. So if you would, if you have your scriptures and you want to follow along, if you would turn to chapter 7, verse 20. The first plague, of course, is the Nile turning to blood. Chapter 7, verse 20 says this, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood, and the fish in the Nile died. And the Nile stunk, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. That was the first plague. The second plague is found in Exodus chapter 8, verse 6. It's frogs. Verse 6 says this in chapter 8. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt, and we learn in this passage that there was frogs in the houses, in bedrooms, so many frogs that they were in people's beds, ovens, bowls, cooking utensils. The third plague was gnats, or probably mosquitoes, and this is found in Exodus chapter 8, verse 17. Verse 17 says this, and they did so, Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The fourth plague is flies, Exodus 8, verse 24. Verse 24 says this, And the Lord did so. They, there came great swarms of flies into the houses of Pharaoh and into the, his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. The fifth plague was death of livestock, Exodus chapter 9, verse 6. Says this, and the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. The sixth plague was boils or sores on man. This is found in Exodus chapter 9, verse 10. So they took soot from the um, kiln and uh, stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. The seventh plague was hail. Exodus chapter 9, verse 23 says this, And Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire rained down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt, There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant on the field and broke every tree on the field. And look at verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen... Where the people of Israel were, was there no hail? We learn uh, that there's a distinction between Egypt and Israel, and a lot of these plagues where uh, 
Israelites lived in Egypt, but the part of Egypt they lived in was called Goshen, and many of the plagues didn't affect the land of Goshen because God made a distinction between the Egyptians and his chosen people, Israel. Eighth plague was locusts. Exodus chapter 10, verse 13 says this, So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. So Such a dense swarm of locusts has never been before nor ever will be again. Not one plant lived through this. The plants that survived the hail were destroyed by the locusts. And finally, the ninth and final plague before the death of the firstborn was darkness. The ninth plague before the tenth. Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Listen to this. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Again, nine plagues. Nile to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, the death of livestock, boils or sores on people's bodies, hail, locusts, and darkness. And although God was doing many things and through these first nine plagues, Exodus makes it very, very clear that there was one main objective, one main purpose to these plagues, and that was to make his name known. In fact, Exodus 9, verse 16 says this, But for this purpose I, Yahweh speaking, I raised you, that's Pharaoh, up, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. We saw last week that God used Moses' lips to harden Pharaoh's heart so that God could stretch out his hand against Egypt with ten plagues, ten signs, ten wonders, that the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh, Exodus 7, verse 5, so that Yahweh's name, so that God's name may be proclaimed in all the earth, Exodus nine sixteen, so that God's name would be known. I really want you to see this, and I know I keep hitting this point over and over and over again, but there's a reason In modern Christianity, we often go to the scripture and read it as if it is about us and what we need to do. The Bible isn't about you and what you need to do. It's about God and what he has done. Exodus is not about us. It's about God and making his character known. In fact, the gospel is not about us and what we need to do. The gospel, the central, central message of Scripture, is all about God and what He has done for us on the cross. I want you to see this because the Bible is just super clear. Again, I'm going to walk through 
Exodus chapter 7 through 10. Because I want you to see that this, this, these plague narratives are about God and making himself known. Exodus 7 verse 17 says this, Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, that's his proper name, Yahweh, that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my, right, in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. Exodus 8, verse 10. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh, like the Lord, our God. Exodus 8, 22. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know. This is why I'm doing this, that you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the earth. Exodus 9.14 For this time I will set or send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me, that's Yahweh, in all the earth. Again, Exodus 9 verse 29 Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's, that the earth is Yahweh's. Exodus 10, verse 2, And that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and of your grandsons, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. Here's the reason, that you may know that I am Yahweh. Does that sound familiar? I am. Moses asked God, what if the Israelites ask, who is this God that that has sent you to me? What is his name? And he said, tell them I am who I am. God is showing who he is to the Israelites, to the Egyptians. He's revealing his character and his name through these signs and wonders. Exodus chapter 11, verse 7. But not a dog shall growl against any of my people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord, that Yahweh, makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And this keeps going even after the plague narrative, Exodus 14, 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will not or, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. And they did so. Exodus 14, 18. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And this all started by a question asked by Pharaoh, who is Yahweh? Exodus 5, verse 2, but Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh, who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. 
God is showing Pharaoh who he is. God is really giving meaning to his name, Yahweh. What does it mean that you are Yahweh? He's revealing truths that he hadn't revealed in Genesis. He's revealing things about his character, who he is, that he didn't reveal to the fathers of Israel. In fact, Exodus 6 verse 3 says this, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. In Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all knew the name Yahweh. In fact, if you go to the book of Genesis, the word, the name Yahweh is used 165 times, and all three of them have used the name Yahweh in, the, in Genesis. But they didn't know the full meaning of God's name. The meaning that's being revealed to Moses in the book of Exodus. God's character being revealed to to Pharaoh, to Moses, and to the Israelites in the book of Exodus. The main purpose of the plagues is the revelation of God's name, the meaning of the name Yahweh. God is making his name known. Which brings me to my second point of the sermon this morning, the revelation of the plague narrative. It's very clear in Exodus that God's making his name known through the plague. So a good question that we should ask is, what is revealed about God's name in chapters 7 through 10? Before we took a break this summer from, the, from Exodus, I, I did a sermon on, on the lessons we learn about God's name in, in chapters 7 through 10 in the, in the plague narrative, at least the first nine plagues. And I just want to review that, quickly review again the lessons we learn what it means that God is Yahweh, what his character, what's being revealed about him in these chapters. The first thing is pretty obvious. Yahweh is almighty. This is clear. These plagues are awesome displays of power. God is all-powerful. He's revealing his almighty power over everything, over bugs even, gnats and flies over animals, frogs, and livestock, over nature, right? The Nile, the mighty Nile River, blood, just like that. Over the sun, turns off the sun, darkness you can feel. The weather, he's sovereign over hailstorms. Man's health, boils and sores that man got all over him, even power over life and death itself, as we'll see in the 10th plague. The plagues show us that Yahweh is almighty. In fact, his name just means power. The second lesson we learn is that Yahweh is jealous. He's a jealous God. Exodus 34, verse 14 says this, For for you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, so for Yahweh whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. This passage, this verse is telling us that Yahweh means God is a jealous God. He will not share his glory with another. Egypt was a pagan nation, therefore they exchanged the glory of the immortal God, right? They exchanged the glory of Yahweh for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. That's Romans 1. Verse 22. They worship the creation instead of the creator himself. 
all types of false gods and idols. And it seems like if you go through each plague, that each plague was an attack on one of the Egyptians' false gods, false deities. For example, we talked about this before we took a break. Amun-Ra, who's the sun god, one of the most important gods in the Egyptian culture. When God turned off the sun, he said, Ra is not in charge of the sun, I am. Even Pharaoh himself was seen as a god. Again, God is a jealous God. He will not share his glory with another. A third lesson we learned is that Yahweh is patient. In Exodus 34, verse 6, it says this, The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Yahweh's name means he's slow to anger. God is slow to anger. He's patient. I believe really one of the purposes of the the nine plagues leading up to the tenth plague was to warn Pharaoh of the final judgment that was coming. In other words, God gave nine warnings before the final plague, the death of the firstborn. In fact, if you look at the plague narrative, it seems like each plague gets worse and worse in its severity. A stronger warning after a stronger warning after a stronger warning. I mean, just think about it. The Nile turning into blood was a warning of future disaster. The frogs, the gnats, the flies brought major discomfort, but the death of the livestock brought uh, um, destruction to wealth and livelihood. Boils was an attack on physical discomfort and and disfigurement of a, a person's body. The severity, it's getting worse and worse. Hail and locusts, just massive and total economic destruction. And darkness, a symbol of judgment and disaster, is one last warning. And finally, death. The death of the firstborn, the climax of God's judgment on Egypt. But before God got there, there was nine warnings, nine plagues, more and more severe. God was graciously and patiently giving Pharaoh and Egypt a chance to repent. Even though he knew they wouldn't, even though he knew his patience and his signs and wonders would only further harden Pharaoh's heart, Yahweh is patient. The fourth lesson we learn, the plague narrative, is Yahweh is merciful. Again, Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, God, merciful and gracious. I believe the plague narrative displays God's mercy. You might be asking, well, how? All I see is judgment. Well, he had mercy on Pharaoh. Again, nine warnings. He even had mercy on the Egyptians. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 20, it says this, Then whoever feared the word of the Lord... Whoever heard God's word and listened to it within the Egyptians among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord, pay attention to God's words, left his slaves and his livestock in the field. In other words, those that feared God's word, feared what God said, received mercy from the hell. So God showed mercy even on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but more than anything, God is displaying his mercy on Israel. He's saving them from slavery and death. 
those who cried out to him for mercy. Exodus 2 verse 23 says, The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. He heard them. Exodus 3 verse 7 says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. God had mercy on Israel because Yahweh is merciful. Leads to a fifth lesson. Yahweh is also just. Yahweh is just. Again, Exodus 34, 6 says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children of the third and fourth generation. In other words, God is merciful, but who will by no means clear the guilty. God is just. In other words, he will not just overlook sins. This is something that's not taught in modern-day Christianity very much. God will not just forgive. There needs to be a payment for his forgiveness. God is just. He won't turn a blind eye to sin. And we see that in the plague narrative. God didn't just clear the guilty. The Egyptians paid for their sins. But we're going to see... Even the Israelites had to have a payment for their sins. Because God will not turn a blind eye to sin. He will not just overlook sin. He will by no means clear the guilty without a payment. That's why a Passover lamb needed to be slaughtered. Leads to a sixth lesson that we learn from the plague narrative. Yahweh is faithful. The plague narrative... God was fulfilling a promise that he made hundreds of years earlier. Genesis 15, 13, it says this. The Lord said to Abram, this is before Israel was a nation. In fact, this was before Isaac, Jacob, or the 12 brothers become the 12 tribes of Israel. This is before Abram was given the name Abraham. This is what God said. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. The plague narrative was the fulfillment of this promise. And God makes this very clear in Exodus. Exodus chapter 2 verse 24 says this. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. That's Genesis 15. With Isaac and with Jacob. Exodus 6, 5 says this, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Israelites hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. God has not forgotten his covenant. God is faithful to his promises. He told Moses, I have remembered my covenant. The plagues show us that Yahweh is faithful to keep his promises. The seventh and final lesson, although there's 
many more lessons than just these seven, but we've got to be done at some point today. Uh, the seventh lesson is Yahweh is sovereign. The plague narrative teaches us that Yahweh is sovereign, that, that Yahweh is sovereign, not Pharaoh. In fact, that Yahweh is sovereign, not man. I mean, think about it. Not only is he sovereign over the natural world, bugs, frogs, the Nile. Not only is he sovereign over health and causes boils on man. Not only is he sovereign over life and death, the death of the firstborn, as we will see. He is also sovereign over man's heart. Exodus makes this very clear. Exodus 11, verse 10. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. God is sovereign even over Pharaoh's heart. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord, in the hands of Yahweh. He, that's Yahweh, he turns it wherever he wills. God is in control, in other words, not the kings of this world. The king's heart is in his hands, and he turns it wherever he wills. You know, that should be comforting. You know, we're starting to enter into uncharted territories as Americans. But Biden, Trump, our president, he's not sovereign over America. God is. And his heart is in God's hands, and he turns it wherever he wills. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his ways, right? We think we're in control. But the Lord, but Yahweh establishes his steps. He's really the one in control. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God is sovereign, not man. Again, the plagues reveal Yahweh's name, reveal his character. The plagues reveal truth about God, that Yahweh is a God that is almighty, jealous, patient, Merciful, just, faithful, and sovereign. Which brings us to our last point this morning. The last point is this, the warning of the plague narrative. The warning of the plague narrative. The plague narrative reveals one other truth, one other really important truth about God, and, and it would be wise for us to not overlook this last truth. The plague narrative shows us that God is wrathful. God is wrathful towards sin and sinners. Again, this is something that's not taught very often within modern Christianity, that God is not just wrathful towards sin. God's plagues weren't poured out on just sin. They were poured out on people that were sinners. Sin will not spend eternity in hell paying for its sin. People will be spending eternity in hell paying for sin. 
God is wrathful towards sin and sinners. And one day God's wrath will be poured out not just on Egypt, but on all of mankind. Exodus 7 verse 10 is a foreshadowing of what is to come. It's a type, it's a warning of a much grander destruction, a much grander judgment that will fall on mankind. If you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. I want you to see this, so I'll take your time to get there. Verse 1. Then I heard a voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. This is a vision given to John of a future judgment that will come. The wrath of God poured out on mankind. Verse 2, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. What's that sound like? The sixth plague in Exodus, Exodus 9.10, boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. That's Exodus 9, verse 10, the sixth plague. Look at verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. It's just like the first plague in Egypt, like the Nile turning into blood and everything dying within the Nile. But this time, it will be the whole sea, the oceans. That became like blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 4. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Now it's all the waters that became blood, both, both salt water and fresh water. And listen, this is super important. Just like the Exodus... Just like the plague narrative in in chapter 7 through 10, these plagues are just. Look what it says in verse 5. And I heard an angel in charge of the water say, Just are you. You know, we read through chapter 16 of Revelation, and we read through the plague narratives in Exodus, and we, we think, how can a loving God do this. It seems unjust. And the only reason we, we, we think that is because we think our sins aren't that bad. When you read through these, these chapters, it reveals to us how bad our sin truly is. Because this is the just judgment towards our sin. In fact, it's one of the reasons I think the angel had to stop what was going on and declare... Just are you. This is a just judgment. 
Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. Right? For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given the blood to drink. It is what they deserve. It's just like Egypt, who shed the blood of the Israelites in chapters 1 through 3, who rebelled against Yahweh in the book of Exodus. In the future, mankind will get what he deserves. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Look at verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. In other words, the sun gets so hot that it scorches people. And remember, there's no drinkable water at this point. They were scorched by this fierce heat, verse 9. And what do people do when this all happens? Do they repent? Do they turn from their sins and turn to God and cry out for mercy? No, verse 9. And they curse the name of God who had power over these plagues. Look what it says specifically. They curse what? They curse the name of God. It's just like Pharaoh. Who is Yahweh? That I should obey him. Mankind will curse the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Right? That's Romans 1. That's why Romans 1 was on my heart when I was going through the plague narrative. Romans 1. For although they knew God, which, was, which is obvious, right? He's turned all the water on the earth to blood. Although they, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Right? In other words, they didn't give him glory. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and an- birds and animals and creepy things. Right? That's Pharaoh. It's the Egyptians. That's mankind. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. Look at verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Does that sound familiar? Ninth plague in Egypt, darkness over the land. People nod their tongue in anguish and curse the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Verse 12, sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates, and it was its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Just like the second plague in Egypt, frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs, just like the magicians. Exodus 7, who performed signs to help Pharaoh suppress the truth and unrighteousness and turn on God. Look what happens, verse 14. For these demonic spirits performed signs 
who go abroad to the kings of the whole world. It's like Exodus, but on a much larger scale. The kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. It's going to be a war waged against God. Again, just like Pharaoh, who asked the question, who is Yahweh, who is the Lord, that I shall obey his voice. And we're going to see that Pharaoh ends up waging war against God at the Red Sea. And what does God do? He crushes them. Look at verse 15. Now this is so interesting. Jesus seems to interrupt this vision. Jesus himself. John's getting this vision of what's going to happen. and, And Jesus interrupts this vision given to John. And this is what he says. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Jesus is saying in the middle of this vision that I'm coming like a thief in the night. Why a thief? I always wondered this. It's not because he's going to steal something. In fact, Jesus owns everything, so what is he going to steal? He's going to come, in other words, like a thief in the night, like an unannounced thief. That's what that describes. It will be unannounced when he comes. Like a thief in the middle of the night. Thieves don't announce themselves. They just come. And Jesus is saying, be ready. In fact, he's saying, keep your garments on. Why garments? That you may not be naked and exposed. Because what are we called to be? We're warriors. We're in war here. This is not our home. In fact, we're called to put on what? The armor of God, found in Exodus 6. And Jesus is saying, you better not have that armor off when I come. Put on the armor of God. Keep that armor on. Don't be naked and exposed. You know, I think we Christians forget that we're at war. And he's given us armor. He's given us a weapon. A sword of the Spirit to use. And he's saying as good warriors, we need to keep the armor on. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says something similar. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It will be unexpected. Matthew 24.42 says something again similar. Therefore, stay awake. We're called as Christians to be awake. Therefore, stay awake. We do not know... On what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. And just give you the picture here, right? If you know a thief is going to come tonight, what are you going to do? Hopefully call the cops, but we live in Tehachapi. You're probably going to sit there with a shotgun waiting for him, right? (laughs) You'll be ready. Jesus is saying that's how we should live, ready. Verse 44, therefore you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We need to be ready. This is a warning. And it's not just a warning for unbelievers. I want to make that clear. 
It's a warning for us as Christians. Tom Schreiner writes this, The promise of coming judgment is not merely a a word for unbelievers. It's an urgent reminder to the church of Jesus that they must not join forces with the wicked. If they do, they will face the same fate. Again, verse 15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. James Hamilton writes, John is calling the faithful to be ready, to watch, to stay clothed so they won't be ashamed. How do you do that? How do we guard ourselves against the demonic spirits of verse 13? How do we, how do we see through their lies and keep ourselves clothed and, and be ready? Well, there's no magical formula here. It's just simply truth that always apply. Here's what you must do. Repent from your sins. Trust in Christ. Join a church where the gospel is preached and the Bible is explained. Read your Bible and pray. Walk with God. Know your Bible. Read the, the word through or read the world through a biblical lens built on your Bible, built by your Bible. Reject the false worldviews pushed on us by the world. Be a student of Scripture and reflect on a life informed by God's Word. We are called to be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Look at verse 16. And they assembled them at a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there was flashes of lightning, rumblings, pearls of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there has never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake that the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. God's wrath is a serious issue. Verse 20. And every island fled away. And no mountain were to be found and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. Just like the seventh plague in the Exodus, Exodus 9, verse 23, then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord Rain hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail. The plague narrative is a warning. It's a warning of God's coming wrath on mankind. Verse 21 again in great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people. Listen to what they do. And they cursed God for the plagues of the hell because the plague was so severe. Listen, I know it's not popular 
to talk about the wrath of God. Get labeled one of those fire and brimstone preachers. It's not popular for many Christians to talk about the wrath of God. It's not popular for many churches. It's not popular for many pastors. I think many avoid this topic, but the Bible is clear. God is wrathful towards sin and sinners. We see it in the book of Exodus. We see it in the book of Revelation, and we see it in in almost every book in between. We even see it in the book before Exodus, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. The plague narrative reveals truth about God. God is revealing his name, and one of the things it reveals is that God is wrathful. So let's end here with this warning. God's wrath is coming. Romans 2 verse 5 says this, Because of your stubbornness and unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. That's scary. It's like a piggy bank. You rebel against God, you harden your heart, you, you sin, and you're just storing up wrath for the day of wrath. In Revelation on the righteous judgment of God who will repay each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But here's the warning, verse 8. But to those who are self-serving and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, he will give wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of mankind who does evil, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Colossians 3, 6. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and of those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That's a warning. Hebrews 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice of sins, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed? And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Exodus is a warning. Every person one day will face God. 
and be judged. Hebrews 9, verse 27. And just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So here's my question. Are you ready? Are you ready? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Passover lamb? That word Passover has to do with wrath. That those that put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, God's wrath will pass over them. Because the wrath was poured out on Jesus. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died for our sins on the cross. He took God's wrath for us. And those that put their faith in him will have eternal life. In fact, John three thirty six says this, that the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But, here's the warning, but the one who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, do it now. Cry out in your heart to him. He can hear you. Cry out for mercy. Realize that mercy and forgiveness will not be given. There must be a payment, and the payment was Jesus on the cross. Believe in him. He died. The third day he was raised from the dead, and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he will return. And those that belong to him, that have put their faith in him, will receive mercy and grace. The revelation is so clear. Those that die or meet him without being in him will face his wrath. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I know this topic is a heavy topic, Lord. That we read through your scriptures and your word that has been given to us from you. Revelation, you're revealing truth to us. And one of the truths that we see in Exodus, Lord, clearly is that you are wrathful towards sin and sinners. And that's because you are just and holy and you cannot be in the presence of sin. Yet I know this is not a popular message to talk about your wrath, Lord. But it's one that we need to hear to remind us, Lord, that this earth is not our home, that we are just passing through, we are sojourners here. But for those that have faith in you and your son and what he did on the cross, for those that are true believers and Christians, Lord, our home is with you. Give us the courage to go out and warn people of the wrath that is coming. That's love, Lord. That we are bold and that we are honest with people that You are a holy God, and one day we will face you. Let's ask the question, are you ready? Lord, I pray for anyone that may not know you this morning, that's listening to these words, that they would put their faith in you right now. They would trust in you, Lord. They would follow you. They would cry out for grace and mercy, and they would receive it, Lord, because of your son. In your son's name, amen.